Productions. This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life, life, life-saving. Well, today I'm really excited to uh, have a conversation with Dr. Omar Farah. Um, he's an esteemed scientist with an unwavering passion for advancing the field of chemistry and fostering innovation. He completed his undergraduate studies at Yarmouth University before pursuing his PhD at UCLA, where he specialized in inorganic chemistry. Dr. Farah's remarkable career at Northwestern University has seen him rise to the rank of professor of chemistry, making groundbreaking contributions in the realm of metal organic frameworks and porous materials. And we'll talk a little bit about that during the conversation. But alongside his academic achievements, Dr. Farha is also an entrepreneur. He's a co-founder and chief science officer at Numat Technologies, where his ex expertise plays a pivotal role in driving cutting edge research. Moreover, he's an advisory board member for several prestigious journals and institutions, including the Journal of the American Chemical Society. In today's discussion, we're really fortunate to delve into Dr. Farah's inspiring journey and the profound impact uh, of his already remarkable accomplishments and, and more to come, no doubt. So welcome to the program. Thanks, John, for having me. I really appreciate it. Excited to have you on the show. Um, well, why don't we just uh, kind of jump right in and maybe I'll start off by asking you what got you hooked on chemistry and kind of what drew you into the field in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. So I grew up in the, in the Middle East, West Bank, Palestine. And over there, uh, after ninth grade, you decide either you get to go to humanities or sciences, mm -hmm. which is too early to decide your career at that age. But I decided to go to sciences, and I did really well uh, as in chemistry and physics and math. And uh, after high school, applying to many universities, I was actually rejected from almost every single one of them. <laughs> and that's what got me to move to the United States. Uh, and then when I came, I started my journey. Actually, I'm a community college uh, product. Hmm. Uh, I, I went to Fullerton College in Southern California. Uh, and I really did well in chemistry, even though my first passion was... I wanted to fly jets for the Air Force. Oh, that's pretty cool. So uh, for many reasons, uh, I decided to pursue chemistry instead of flying jets for the Air Force. <laughs> and uh, then I transferred to UCLA, and I declared uh, chemistry majors. Then I stayed there for my PhD, and here we go. Well, you, you touched on an important point, and that was that you know you said with a sense of pride that you're a, you're a product of community college. Could you probe a little bit more deeply in, in that regard, You know how you started, and just the grit of coming over from West Bank to the U.S.? I'm just really you know in admiration of the risk that you took in doing that and then getting started down that path. What were some of the you know early learnings about the community you were starting in when you got here? Oh, absolutely. You know, I left... Uh, my country because of just the, I did not want to be involved in the politics. Uh, I have friends on both sides and and that's why I decided uh, it's time for me to go and start my career somewhere else with the hope one day I'll be able to help 
what's going on there and make it better. Mm -hmm. And when I came to the U.S., I could not afford to go to the Harvards of the world, the Caltechs, or even Northwestern, where I am right now. Mm -hmm. uh, full, you know, community colleges were affordable. Uh, you could work a full-time job while you have a, being a full-time student, and I did exactly that. Uh, and Fullerton College was a spectacular place. It was a home uh, that took me uh, and I was able to spend there a couple of years. Uh, and they have, California does it right in that perspective. So the community, they have community colleges that they are connected with UC systems. Mm -hmm. And if you do well as, an, as a graduate student or an undergrad in that case, uh, at a community college, you have the possibility, yes. if you get accepted, which is a lot easier process, to go to a UC system. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky to be accepted on a chancellor fellowship at that point at the UCLA. Oh, that's amazing. Well, and then what was that transition like, you know, going from the community college environment to, to UCLA as you were stepping up? You know, it, it, everything comes with challenges. Change is never comfortable. Uh, you know, even just coming to the U.S., not speaking any English, that was uncomfortable. But I look at that, going from Fullerton College to UCLA was an easier transition than coming from the West Bank sure. to uh, the United States. But, yeah, it was a challenge that I had to uh, overcome, and you overcome it by, uh, you know, failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. uh, when you leave your country and you come to a new country, failure is not an option. You take every opportunity seriously and you don't take opportunities for granted. Uh, and that's how I decided to really all my career in the United States to live by that. Mm -hmm. Don't take opportunities for granted and work hard. That's, that's an uh, excellent mantra. And maybe if you can kind of channel that into, was that a guiding force you know, on your scientific pathway as well. You know, as, as you charted your path, you know, in through UCLA and moving on forward with your graduate studies and even to current day, um, is that a guiding force for you as you think about the, some of the risks that go into, you know, the experimentation and the design and, and really kind of plowing into new frontiers? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you have to be a risk taker. Uh, if you are not a risk taker, it's very hard to advance fields. It's very hard to advance areas. And yeah, but you also, if you want to, if you fail, you want to fail fast. Mm -hmm. This way, you just leave it behind and you go to the next bigger, be better things uh, to do. Uh, and as I said uh, earlier, you know, as a, a p born and raised in Palestine, also, if you look around, there is not many people like me in the US doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that's also for me to show the world uh, we are capable. Uh, and giving us or my people the opportunity or other people around the world the opportunity, we are capable. And that's what makes the US uh, the place to be because we get the opportunities to do what we want to do. Yeah, no, that's that's very inspiring. And Ben, just kind of pick, picking up on, on that for a minute, you know, when you, think about even present day and, you know, you're building your own lab and you're uh, recruiting in the, the best scientists and the best students and you're thinking about how to push forward on new techniques and whether it be in organic, organometallic chemistry or other applications. Um, to some extent, has that been a feature that you've been able to kind of 
um, pass on to the development of of your lab? What's the what's the makeup of your of your uh, uh, students that are part of your uh, lab operation is it is it diverse is it is it uh, welcoming of a whole different set of types of individuals that maybe w- wouldn't have been thought of as the as the lead so uh, I am very proud of the culture we built in my lab at Northwestern University and what are we building right now at NUMAT in every case there is always more room for work mm-hmm. but my group at Northwestern is about 40 people uh, I don't know how many languages honestly spoken. Mm-hmm. I would tell you more than seven, eight, nine languages are spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I have 50-50 uh, males, females, uh, and that's, uh, that's something we, are, we should all be proud of. Uh, and the, you know, we are an international group. Uh, we, if you look at where people come and why they come to my group is because of that mentality. They see the science we do first. And second, that the PI is what he had to do to come to this point. Right. And that helps. Yeah. But also, uh, from my perspective, I don't just choose people f- because they come from area A or area B. Sure. We choose excellence. Yeah. But if you open your doors to people outside your comfort zone, the excellence are there. Yeah. So we don't lower our par to accept particular people. Yes. No. That that that's great. No. You're 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 always recruiting in the A team, but you're open to where that A player may come from in more diverse parts of the world or with different backgrounds that maybe Absolutely. weren't the typical you know prototype that you'd be otherwise thinking that it would be the case. Absolutely. And yeah. I do the same thing as an admission director for the chemistry department at Northwestern University. Uh, that's the mentality I go to. How can we get the most diverse class we can. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that, you know, when you came over here from Palestine, you were alone and there are not a lot of people that look like you in your field. Were there things you were able to, it, was, it had to be an inner strength that allowed you to keep going down that pathway. Did you find early on, even back at Fullerton or UCLA, different role models that you found were inspiring that kind of created some um, emotional you know, uh, desire to, to follow or, or, or be like those individuals as, as you were forging your own path? You know, at the beginning is when you start just trying to decide what you want to be or what major you want to be, it just, it's inner strength. And as I said, when, when you come from one place to another, failure is not an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means you have to work hard. If you have to work two jobs, you work two jobs, and you don't complain about it, and you just keep moving. That's just reality, or at least the reality I lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to UCLA, of course, you start knowing the uh, the world at bigger uh, scale, and you start seeing, okay, uh, if X, Y, and Z are able to do it, uh, then I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I get the right opportunity and the right uh, support, and I have to say, uh, I've never, uh, you know, it never felt uh, when I was a student at UCLA that I was uh, didn't get the opportunity anybody else at UCLA would get, mm-hmm. uh, and that's why. To me, uh, that place will always be home mm. because that's the place that. I know gave me all the support, and without UCLA, 
and UCLA chemistry department, I don't think I will be where I am right now. What got you? So I want to come to New Matt in just a minute um, and your kind of entrepreneurial um, chops and all the work that you've been doing in that regard um, with that great story. But as we um, kind of build the the, the momentum into new Matt. I'm curious, what got you into this part of chemistry? Like what triggered your interest into this particular field? What was going on at the time when you were at UCLA to make you say, this is the area of science that I want to put all myself into? Yeah, that's a good question. And before that, actually, after my PhD, I thought I want to go get my MBA hmm. and be a product manager. Hmm. Uh, see products going all the way from an inception to commercialization. That's mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I actually applied to several MBA programs and I got accepted to some. Yeah. But then I realized I am an inventor. Mm -hmm. I want to make new things. And I went to the technology that I am in right now uh, as a... PhD students, I was a small molecule organometallic uh, chemist, uh, but worked on materials that they are three-dimensional, uh, the equivalent to a benzene ring, but in three-dimensionality. Hmm. So I, am, I like to see things in 3D. Hmm. And that's what got me into going into porous materials that they're three-dimensional, but I want those, uh, this new part of my journey to work on a material that it's a platform. Mm -hmm. That means if one day I decide I want to go to application one or application two or application three, I'm not really starting from scratch. That means this got to be like a toolbox, yeah. like Tinker Toys, uh, Legos, and you have the pieces and you build the pieces together uh, uh, after you decide what application or what do you want to answer, the question you want to answer. Uh, after d doing all that search, that's what led me into a field. At that point, the field was its in inception, mm -hmm. uh, and it was looked upon as, okay, up and coming, but it still requires a huge uh, effort from a fundamental uh, science uh, perspective. Sure. And that's exactly as a PhD student, I said, okay, I want to be in that field that is not already all the questions been answered. Sure. And I'm just answering the question for the hundredth time. I want to be the one to be answered the questions for the first time. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, just that creativity. You're driven by creativity and being able to kind of, you, again, you, you're, you took a risk that that field would ultimately lead to where it currently is, you know, as it's continued to grow and develop. But being one of the early pioneers in that, in that field, um, you clearly are driven by that, that creative sense, being the first or moving in a direction where others haven't, ha haven't gone, which is, seems to be a key theme in the, your journey, you know, all the way through your, the arc of your, your career. If you look at, and, you know, just your notion around kind of building a platform and then from that platform having the ability to kind of develop several ap applications that could go and solve different types of problems, maybe even in different industries, you know, like certainly life sciences being one, but other kinds of industries uh, can be the beneficiary of all of that work as well. And I think that um, it, it, as, you're, as I was hearing you talk, from a venture capital perspective, from an investor perspective, this also is what is favored because there is this desire to invest in a platform that would have the ability to kind of spin off different ideas that would both mitigate risk and increase the chance that if you validate that first application across that platform, then it would connote value 
across the whole platform, you can start to apply it to all these different discrete problem areas. So just as I was hearing you speak, I was just inter- uh, it, it was interesting to note the similarities in terms of the way that investors would look at a company, in a sense. So in this case, it's you and your own scientific career path, but it's a very savvy way to kind of build your overall portfolio. And yeah, that's but also that's why you have 40 people. People ask me, if you have 40 group members, how do you get them not to be doing the same thing? Mm-hmm. Because we work on a platform technology mm-hmm. and we are tackling about seven, eight different uh, areas mm-hmm. from energy to environment and anything in between. Uh, but the platform technology comes with its own challenges. Uh, the cool thing about platform technology having that freedom Mm -hmm. to do the science or they address the question you want to address. Mm -hmm. But the bad thing about platform technology, having the freedom to do all that, that means sometimes maybe for me as an academic, uh, that's great. Mm -hmm. But once you start a company, you cannot say, I want to go after these 20 applications. Then they will get none of them done. So at some point, you have to also... Uh, risk and say, okay, even though I have a platform technology, I could tackle those hundred applications. We want to go after those three and double down on those three because that's the ones most likely would be the immediate, uh, you know, products, the Mm midterm, the long term. And you start building on that. But that's what I'm saying, you know, also the platform technologies as you know, come with their own challenges. There's a trade-off for sure. Yes, yes. Well, talk a little bit now, Omar, if you can, about the formation of NUMAT, going back to the early days, kind of what drove you down that path. Uh, Certainly, you know, your original desire to go and get an MBA and be a product manager and see things from inception to commercialization, that clearly never went away, right? But you're applying it maybe in a different way, I would assume, as you thought about getting NUMAT off the ground. But talk a little bit about those early days and what was driving you in that direction. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, first of all, the CEO of NUMAT, Ben Hernandez, uh, is also one of the co-founders and uh, one of uh, is a brother. And uh, we got to work for together right now for almost 10 years. Mm. And the two founders are still part of the company, which is, if you think about it, that's unusual. It is unusual. Uh, but that also says that we have the passion uh, to take this technology to the next stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to do it here in Illinois, in Chicago. Uh, but going back, it's really, that's where, you know, a few friends got together and uh, we realized that this particular technology, it's right now ripe enough from uh, stability. We could start thinking about that you know, there is some issues with scalability, but those solvable issues, and we could solve really serious problems. That means we should really, it's its time for us to take it to the next stage. Mm-hmm. And the next stage was starting a company uh, and uh, seeing if we could fundraise for this technology mm-hmm. and build a portfolio. And that's what we've been doing for the last uh, 10 years. I can't say the first few years, uh, you know, big companies well receptive, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the same companies that they weren't receptive to this technology, right now they have uh, teams in their own locations or they are working with Numat mm-hmm. to drive this technology forward. Yeah. So it's nice to see even the change mm-hmm. of how people saw 
this particular field and this technology. Talk a little bit about what the uh, applications you mentioned taking going from platform and then focusing on a couple of different applications. Can you talk a little bit about Numat's focus around the applications of the sure. science? So uh, Numat, you know, uh, the first application we went after it's in the electronic industry, uh, and we decided to go there because uh, th- it was a need for a new technology to store these toxic gases, such as arsine, phosphine, BF3. These are the dopants that they dope the wafers to make our iPhones and iPads work better. Uh, And they needed to be stored uh, in a safer way at a higher capacity. Uh, and the question is why we went to those applications, because it's not the easiest one. It's you're dealing with toxic chemicals. Mm. The quality control is outrageous. But we wanted to go into an area that wasn't uh, already too, too many IP there, uh, is there. Mm-hmm. A lot of players are there. And this one was really an open uh, area for Numat to play and play okay. freely. Uh, And we did well, and we commercialized our first products in 2016, 2017. It's called Mm INX, and now it's, uh, you know, sold internationally. And after that, we went to adjacent markets. Some of the markets we went to uh, is in the, you know, uh, defense. So we make materials for the, uh, you know, Department of Defense that has the ability to capture and destroy very toxic chemicals. And those chemi- uh, those materials we make, it could go into the mask or the whole entire suit hmm. can be coated with such a material. And right now we are going into uh, other areas such as pharma. Uh, pharma is in need of purification and removal of certain uh, toxins mm-hmm. from their you know reactions. Mm-hmm. We help them do that. Or any area uh, in the separation and the storage world that we could do it at m- lower energy, we are interested. Because uh, right now with climate change and the CO2, there is two ways of solving this problem. One, uh, capture the CO2 mm-hmm. in air. Mm-hmm. Another one, let's uh, emit a lot smaller amounts. Mm-hmm. And if you go and you solve the energy issues from separation and uh, storage application, then you would need less energy. I that see. means less CO2 molecules right. are actually emitted. Yeah. And we need both. We need the capture and we need the reduction. Sure. And that's where Numet is. Brilliant. Well, what's it been like building a company? Uh, I learned... I think I have an MBA without going to Kellogg. <laughs> Even my business partner, he got his MBA from Kellogg, and he should be proud. Uh, and I am sure he is. But I learned from him so much. I learned from our investors. I le- every board meeting I go to, I learn something new. Yeah. Uh, because surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you is the way to advance. And I look at this. This is a life journey of learning. Uh, and Numat is just part of that journey. And in, in those experiences, um, and I hear, you know, one key theme that you're talking about there is just, you know, learning and continue to grow, evolve, create, and, and listening is part of that process, especially with people with different opinions and coming from different backgrounds, whether they're investors or corporate partners. Um, how would you advise your colleagues or maybe the next generation, your 40 students, for example, um, around the right path should those individuals wish to pursue it 
around starting a company around their idea? Is it something you would say, um, I recommend doing this if this is something that you're interested in doing and you have an application that could be commercialized? Uh, or is it something that you would say, um, well, I would think twice <laughs> about that? Uh, now, uh, I believe uh, if somebody has the itch to go and start a company, they should. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a really uh, a fulfilling uh, path. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it doesn't work out, yeah. uh, you will end up learning more than you could even think about. It's challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it always looks cool <laughs> that somebody is the president of a startup company or sit on a board or whatever, but that comes with responsibility. Kind of hard, right? <laughs> and you have to make hard decisions. Yeah. Uh, but what do you learn from that? You cannot learn in schools or yeah. in colleges or in degrees. Uh, and in that case, if my students wants to really uh, go after uh, such a thing, I would say go for it. Yeah. And what would you, when you think about um, your decision to um, join the team at Northwestern, I mean, Northwestern is well known, you know, as a place that really has been successful around material science. What's the importance of being part of a community or ecosystem of other individuals that, you know, are collaborating in, in some form, critical mass around a given area of research or a given area of uh, company development, for example. Uh, do, you, do you know what I'm asking? Oh, Just yeah, kind yeah, of, of like, course. Yeah. No, I think that comes uh, play, plays hugely in your decision. But also uh, what made me go to Northwestern more than just that. Uh, that, you know, being able to work on materials, and we know for the next 50 years, uh, when I get a run out of ideas or places where materials should play. Mm -hmm. So that's for sure. Uh, but I could think of other places that they do that. But I decided to go to Northwestern because of four things. One, the students. Mm. Uh, you could have all the ideas in the world as a professor if you don't have top-notch students to execute you have nothing but ideas on your desktop. The second thing, facilities, mm. equipment. Uh, you could have your ideas and your students. If you don't have the top-notch uh, you know, facilities to be able to conduct your research, you can't do that. The third one is staff. Northwestern knows how to run a show, and they do it well, and they do it efficiently. And the last thing, your colleagues mm -hmm. who are been there, successful people, intimidating people sure. because when you start there as a newcomer and talking to some of your colleagues who started three four companies uh, they do and publish four or five hundred papers they have 20 30 patents you look at that and you say my god uh, that's are the ones i'm going to be giving lunch talks in front of <laughs> right but that's also as as intimidating and it might sound that's what pushes you to be better yeah yeah, no, amazing. Well, you know, you mentioned earlier just the motivation around NUMAT and your, um, you know, your stated goal to, you know, continue to grow and build a company here in Chicago and Illinois. Can you talk a little bit more about your decision to kind of double down in that direction? And what were, what are some of the things that you think um, are elements of, of, a, uh, of an ecosystem where NUMAT can grow and flourish? Yeah, I think, you know, a few years ago, you know, people looked at Chicago area is not the place to start companies that they could go big and successful. But 
I would argue if they thought of the future and where the trajectories from cost, uh, from uh, you know the ecosystem around, uh, from the support system, from the city, being able to live in this city, uh, they would have realized this is the place where companies is going to flourish. And we've seen it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tide have turned. And right now, I think there is many companies, there is many incubators, uh, there is many places that are ready to support a new startups to get them to the next stage. And I'm super happy to see that. And I'm happy to see that Numat uh, is doing well and it will continue to do well here in Illinois. And uh, I don't see Numat going anywhere else uh, outside this city. Well, I think the interesting thing, having been a part of that ecosystem along with you, you know, over the years, uh, it is interesting to watch it continue to kind of grow and accelerate. And one of the things I've noticed is that a big part of the the push in this direction has been, you know, it goes back a decade wherein the universities themselves became, you know, very actively engaged in trying to prioritize innovation and its importance around, you know, not only students graduating, getting jobs, but faculty creating companies or interacting with industry and solving problems to make impact. And I've seen just a tremendous investment, you know, around the region in that regard. And and by virtue of those investments in many ways, it has attracted a new type of individual and more along the lines of, of your background, you know, people that are not only interested in doing great science and publishing articles, in which I did notice that you're, you're a highly cited researcher in chemistry. I want to come back to that in a minute. But that's an important component uh, to great research and good science. But entrepreneurial pursuits on top of that, uh, creating the right environment to encourage that type of activity, I think the universities have raised their game in that regard in the last decade that has enabled more of that to happen. What are your thoughts on that and the the idea that we want to try to you know make it easier uh, both within the university and then once it's out of the university within the ecosystem to encourage and support that type of activity and and a follow-on question is do your students come into your lab thinking do, is that a selling point to students coming into your lab as they think about what what uh, research that they may pursue uh, let me uh, answer the second one first. Uh, uh, no, I think they come to my group from different backgrounds. I take students from mat- material science, from chemistry, from uh, chemical and biological engineering. So the incentive for them to be in my lab, we are a material-centric making people. Mm-hmm. So there is two types of people, the people who make, the people who uh, measure. Mm-hmm. We are the people who make. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we collaborate heavily with the people who measure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so the students were excited about making things, but they don't want to make it because it's cute. They want to make it because it has a function, is get to solve something important one day. And that's the driving force. It's not because I started NUMAT or I have patents, but they see that our their chemistry, that they're trying to address fundamental questions, is get a lead to answers that those answers will solve fundamental questions in the energy and environment uh, sectors. I see. Uh, And regardless, if they want to go to national labs, to academia Mm -hmm. or industry, that excites them. Yeah, got it. And that's what my group uh, offers. Uh, Going back to the first questions, yeah, I'm glad that universities are making it easier on professors to, you know, you know, submit the patents mm-hmm. and uh, start companies. 
uh, because also there is incentive for them. Uh, you know, there is royalties got to come back yeah. and stuff. And they're realizing mm-hmm. this is important. Yeah. This is another way of uh, income for the university. Right. But also that should be what, you know, what we should draw. When we get grant funding that is paid for by the taxpayers, mm-hmm. then we should be doing something useful mm-hmm. that the community uh, and the country and the world can benefit from that funding that taxpayers paid for. The translation. The translation part, mm-hmm. that's very important. Otherwise, yeah, you got your paper and we move on to the next thing, but somebody paid for that paper, a few hundred thousand dollars. The question is, how can that be translated yeah. to that individual one day can see some benefit from that? Yeah, excellent, outstanding. And, and one uh, area that I think, um, you know, we're often asked, you know, as you, as you think about the beginnings of this ecosystem and its continued growth, um, often people will cite, well, you got to concentrate in one area, back to your kind of portfolio versus focus <laughs> dilemma. Chicago is a city with an economy that's pretty well balanced across many different types of industries, life sciences or science applications being one of them, but one of a, one of a, a dozen or so. Whereas in a Boston or the Bay Area, concentration around tech or biotech is much more acute. And so there's always been this argument, you need to be concentrated in one area. What makes you different than the rest of the world? And I do believe that having a differentiable characteristic, as I'm sure our friends at Kellogg would tell us in marketing, is a really important piece of how you present to the world. And if we think about the ecosystem in Chicago and how it presents to the world, because if it's just an ecosystem all to itself, it really can't be sustainable and credible, you know, in 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 the in the bigger picture, right? I agree. And and so part of what you're talking about in, in in reflecting on the traction that we're seeing in the ecosystem today is it's becoming credible on a more global scale, and and uh, but concentration around a given area of of of, of focus oftentimes is, is cited as an important ingredient. One of the arguments that I've made around Chicago's differentiable characteristics are. The combination of some of the you know core strengths you know of the research institutions and and the national laboratories that we benefit from here, Argonne and Fermilab, you know material science being one of those core drivers, high performance computing, you know some of the fastest supercomputers in the world, you know driving um, you know faster decisions around di- different applications and analytics that can be applied to you know, these, these elements of material science and, and under, underneath that, um, the, the infrastructure that we have and being able to ultimately develop solutions or drugs or diagnostics or tools that at the end of the day, at least in life sciences, help patients and transform their ability to lead better lives. And I wonder what you think about that argument, that the, that the convergence that we're seeing of, you know, data-driven analytics using high-performance computing, applying it to chemistry and, and biology are really kind of where the future is. And Chicago has all those raw materials to be differentiable, if you will. 
No, I completely agree with you. I think uh, data science, machine learning, and automation uh, is going to be the future. Mm -hmm. And it's something uh, that's why I collaborate with a lot of theorists and modelers. Mm -hmm. uh, because actually our materials, because it's a platform, and hypothetically, we could think about building, building millions of these materials, but we don't want to make millions. Right. Can we actually start... Uh, predicting what material is good for what before we go to the lab and make it. Mm -hmm. Or when we have all this data about these materials, can we actually now use machine learning to do that? Uh, or since they are uh, pieces like Legos and we could start putting them together uh, uh, simply by programming these materials to do certain things, can we use robotics and automations to get us to, the to answer the questions faster? Uh, I think that's the future, and I think uh, Illinois and Chicago in particular is going to play a big role there. As we kind of uh, transition back to kind of your personal story, are there any uh, thoughts around kind of the, the work-life balance? You know, you're a busy person. You're handling a lot of things. You've got a lot of different, like you said, maybe eight different areas of research that are happening in the lab. You're CSO for NUMAT. Um any advice or thoughts around, and maybe maybe the answer is, you know, you're, you're not balanced and you're just focused, <laughs> but I'm just curious about, you know, your longevity, sustaining your ability, you know, over the marathon, you've met, you have many important outcomes in the future that you're going to be part of. And just how do you keep yourself fresh for those things? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, the honest answer, I am not balanced. Mm -hmm. If I told you I am balanced, that would be a big lie. Mm hmm. Uh, but being unbalanced, that comes with its own price mm -hmm. and its cost. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way I think of things, when I decided to leave my place, leave my family, and come to a new place uh, with somebody who has the last name as myself and look like me, uh, we don't have the the time to waste. Mm -hmm. Not waste, mm -hmm. but we have to be dedicated mm -hmm. uh, if we want to reach certain goals. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying my goals should be the goals for everyone. Sure. Yeah. That that becomes how you balance your life. Mm -hmm. It's a subjective question. Yeah. Uh, I don't say the way I lived my life is the right way. Mm -hmm. If, if you ask me, if you go back 15 years ago, mm -hmm. would I have changed certain things? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. uh, but do I regret the way I did it to get me here? I don't. Right. Uh, but I would, if I go back, I would change certain things. Uh, but we are where we are right now. Yeah, no, and the, the elements of your success are all a part of those choices that you made and, and, the, and the decisions you made to kind of double down, if you will, again and again on the, the activities that you're fully engaged in and that, and that immersion. And, and, and I, I think the, the same thing in, in the sense that to really be on the cutting edge and to really push that frontier um, it's an all. It's kind of an all-immersive type of activity that you're consumed by, and giving yourself to it, the world is better off for it. When we <laughs> and we appreciate that uh, you've yeah, yeah, made but, uh, those decisions. It, it, listen, it comes at a cost. Of course, uh, it comes at a cost. Yeah. I mean, uh, would I have loved to spend more time with my kids? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but 
uh, you know, if I go back and uh, make my decisions again, mm-hmm. I think nowadays with, you know, being able to do things over Zoom mm-hmm. that we, you know, COVID is an awful thing, mm-hmm. but also the COVID era taught us that there is certain things can be done without having to be in a plane, in a hotel, right. uh, flying overseas yes. to, to conduct certain things. Yeah. I was one of the guys who lived uh, in hotels and uh, airplanes mm-hmm. to conduct business because I wanted to get tenure. I needed to do things for Numet and mm-hmm. other things that right now I think I could have done, let's say, 50% of that yeah. over Zoom. Sure. But again... Uh, that wasn't, uh, we did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But back to your point, too. I mean, I think, you know, as we kind of project to, to the audience that's thinking about, you know, the right career path and the right choice for them and the right decisions and the right balance in their life, I think that you you made the quip, you know, the, it it's always looks cool to be the, the CEO of that startup company. But the reality is it's very difficult. And you're making tons of sacrifices to do that. And I think, part of making a clear choice around what path an individual is going to take, no matter what it is, putting your full self in, taking the risk and cons- being consumed by it will ultimately be part of the decision that you're making to move in that in that direction. And back to your points, I think your, your words were it's difficult to grow if you're not taking risks. And so risk and sacrifice are part of the recipe for what's produced the, the, the great success you've seen so far. The question is, you always have to ask yourself, do you want to be a leader or a follower? Mm -hmm. It's just simple as that. If Mm -hmm. you want to, it's easier to be a follower. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a leader, it takes time. Uh, It takes uh, time management. Mm -hmm. It takes that you have the ability to juggle many things. And it takes for you not to complain. (laughs) Uh, you know Uh, yeah if uh, you have to have you gotta have some hard days yeah Uh, and you gotta be able to you know uh, move forward yeah last question Um, as you look on the horizon what's the most important um, thing you think that's going to be kind of transformative in your area of science what do you think in the next decade 10 10 20 years uh, in organometallic chemistry that you think will be kind of transformative for really really anything? What, what are you most excited about? You know, I'm excited about, you know, the ability to be able to uh, use these materials to store uh, clean fuels, mm. like mm. let's say such as hydrogen. Mm. That, uh, right now, uh, electric cars, we see them all over the place, mm-hmm. but I don't think electric cars got to solve uh, the short distance vehicles, the long distance vehicles. So we need other uh, type of uh, resources and other types of fuels, yeah. such as hydrogen. And the problem is how do you store it yeah. uh, safely right. uh, and at room temperature? Yeah. The second thing is the climate. I mean, uh, if we like it or not, uh, climate change is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we have to do something about that. I would love to see uh, how our technology has the ability to remove CO2 from the air selectively and bring us back to to normal life. So hopefully my children and my grandchildren can have a cleaner uh, environment than the way we live in. And lastly, being able to make technologies that protect civilians Mm -hmm. uh, by purifying their water, Mm -hmm. by bringing water from air that they didn't know that they had Mm. for a drinking water. Mm -hmm. These are uh, where the future is, I hope, for our uh, industry, for our field. Uh, That means we still have 
many, many questions that we didn't answer. And that's good. That's a job security. Sure. That's right. Well, Omar, I mean, it's been a true pleasure. Um, you're, a, you're a direct inspiration to our broader audience. I'm very thankful to you personally for you know lifting up our ecosystem and really bringing a bright shining star. The Numad story is such an important story for the ecosystem, and we're going to continue to to be big fans and and watch to continue to grow and flourish. And beyond that, you know all of the next generation of scientists that you're training and your new ideas that you're pushing forward that are moving the needle to make the the world a better place. Um, personally, I just want to thank you and say I'm inspired by that, and I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, John. Same here. I appreciate the time with you. Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guest today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labratstounicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye. Goodbye.